Thank I just want to give you a quick update on uh, our food bank. Uh, last Sunday we had done a, a, our Christmas collection for the South Belfast Food Bank. Uh, I took it down there this week and we collected 83 and a half kilos of food, which is a lot, I think. That's like an entire kind of muscular person of food. So um, that's not what I weigh. I'm a bit more than that, not because of muscle, but there we go. Um, now James is laughing because I've referenced my uh, physique again. Um, but that was great. And uh, then on uh, Thursday night, uh, a few of us went down to the food bank and we helped pack, pack up their Christmas treat bags. Um, so all of their clients uh, get a Christmas treat bag full of chocolates and biscuits and mince pies and all the kind of Christmassy stuff. So really great stuff. And then uh, in January, Bruce, who's the manager of the food bank, he's going to come here one Sunday, um, hopefully when things are more back to normal again. And um, he's going to share some stories from the food bank and, and, and other ways that we can get involved. And we really want to kind of pursue that partnership we have them. So thank you if you brought food. Thank you for doing that. We're going to keep doing Food Bank Sunday, the last Sunday of every month, starting again in January. Um, so there's loads of opportunities to, to, to give to that. Um, but thank you. It was great. It was great to be there. Um, today's our, uh, the, the last Sunday in our Advent series. We've been looking at the events leading up to and surrounding the birth of Jesus um, as we try to prepare our hearts for, uh, to think about and, and welcome the Lord. Um, and we look forward not just to his birth as a baby, but to his coming again when, when he won't be a baby in a manger, but he'll be a victorious, conquering warrior king to reign and rule over all the earth. Um, and in particular, we've been looking at uh, things that were said by various people about Jesus around the time of his birth. So we started by looking at the words that the angel Gabriel um, told Mary uh, she, he, that she's going to have this baby and, and all these things are going to happen. And then we looked at Mary's song of, of rejoicing and worship as she pondered these things and she realized what was happening to her and through her as she was becoming the mother of the Lord. And then last week, uh, Nathan took us, uh, Nathan's carried a lot of the burden on this one, I'm not going to lie, um, just because of COVID and other things. Um, but last week, we looked at the, the words of Zechariah at the birth of his own son when he was more really concerned about the birth of the Lord Jesus. And now this morning, we're going to consider the words that the, the angel delivered uh, to this group of shepherds uh, as they were watching, uh, watch their flocks by night. <laughs> Um, as the song goes, uh, we're, we're, we're actually going to we're going to look at this passage again on Christmas Eve uh, and a slightly different part of it. Um, but today we're, we're going to look at what this angel says to the shepherds. A couple of weeks ago, I got chatting to a guy that I know, but I don't really know. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, we I know that he lives in the area. I see him quite often. We, we say hello to each other and sometimes we talk and sometimes we don't. One of those kind of kind of relationships. Um, but we got chatting, and naturally the conversation turned to Christmas, and I said, what, what, what are you doing for Christmas? And he said, well, I'm going to Tenerife. I want to get out of the country. I hope he's still able to go, actually, now. Um, but he told me that he is going to Tenerife because he doesn't celebrate Christmas because he's not a Christian, and he just wants to get away from it all. Uh, he said, it's a Christian holiday, and I'm not a Christian, so therefore, why would I celebrate it? And he wasn't against Christmas, and he wasn't against anybody celebrating it, but he just doesn't see the point of celebrating Christmas if he doesn't believe in Christ. And he's kind of got a point, doesn't he? It, it, if we take the birth of Christ out of Christmas, then what are we left with? Not much. Without Jesus, it's just trees and mince pies and parties 
but not a lot else. There's no substance. And that conversation got me thinking that night, what does Christmas mean to me? I love Christmas. I get excited about all of it. The movies, uh, sitting by the fire, the Christmas trees, like everything, the, the meal. Like I've been thinking about Christmas dinner for a long time now and planning that. Um, I just can't wait for next Saturday. Um, but in particular, what does the coming of Christ mean to me? I, I'd wager, and I may be wrong, that, that probably all of us in this room this morning um, would happily say that we believe in the coming of Christ. We, we believe that this baby was born, right? Um, but what does it mean to you? Take a second and think about this right now. What does the coming of Christ mean to you? That's the question. This is the question that we're going to consider this morning as we look at this passage. And we're, and we're going to see that the coming, of, the coming of Jesus requires us all to ask that question. What does the coming, what does the birth of this baby mean to each of us? So let me pray for us and ask God's help uh, before we get in. Haley, can you get me a glass of water, please? Thank you. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that uh, for Luke, who, who went and interviewed Mary and all these eyewitnesses so that we can have this account of your birth. Uh, Father, we pray that as we read these words this morning, as we consider what they mean, that you would, you would, you would really um, cause us to to ask, what does the coming of Christ mean to each of us? Let us see the glory of Jesus in these words this morning. In his name we ask, amen. Um, I don't know if any of you got any Christmas presents yet. I have not. There's a hint. Um, only joking. Joking, but I'd still be happy if you give me a present. Um, no, I haven't got any present, but there's still time. We've still got six days, and I'm hoping that on Christmas morning there'll be presents under the tree for me. Um, but but when, I said that when Haley was out of the room, um, so I should have waited until she comes back. Um, but when you get a gift, right, sometimes the, sometimes the gift itself, even before you open it, tells you a lot about what the person who gave you the gift means to you. Thank you. Right? You, can, you can easily tell the difference between a gift that somebody has put a lot of thought into uh, and effort into and, and one that's impersonal and just a bit generic and could be for anybody. Um, when, when I was a kid, in the run-up to Christmas, we used to go and see Santa in the Tar Center of Balamina, every big up the, the, the Tar Center. Um, and uh, we went to see Santa. And, and the, the gift that we got every year from this shopping center, Santa, could have been for anybody, right? In fact, Santa had a big bag of girl gifts and a big bag of boy gifts, and you just kind of got, like, got given one. They weren't personalized in, in any way. And maybe you've had generic gifts like that. Maybe it's a secret Santa at work, and, and you know that the person really hasn't thought about you. It's, you know, it's, you know one year I got given uh, a couple of scratch cards. That was my secret Santa from work. I won seven pounds, so, uh, I mean, there you go. It wasn't all bad. But compare that to a gift that you get that's just for you, right? You can tell that it's been wrapped with care. I like wrapping my presents with care. And, and, and maybe it has a nice personalized note on it or, or even a card and with a nice message that, that tells, tells you just how much you mean to that person. And when you open it, you can tell that, it, wow, they've really thought about me and, and they know that this is something I love. Well, when we, when we look at this passage, I want us to notice that, that we can be sure that what happened to these shepherds in these fields outside Bethlehem on that first Christmas night was just for them. Listen to how the story happens and the way Luke records it in verses 9 to 12. He says this, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, for, for, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Do you hear that language? to you, for you, unto you. This is a personalized message for these shepherds. It could have been any more for them if it had been wrapped in wrapping paper, covered in sheep and tied up with wool because I don't know, maybe that's what shepherds get with their names on it. But here's what I want us to notice. It's not just that that message and this experience is for those shepherds over 2,000 years ago in those fields. This message is for us too. You see, the shepherds in those days were, uh, and maybe even today, I'm not sure, but they, they were the average Jews. They, they had quite a lowly status in society. They weren't particularly well thought of. They were the, the, the hard-working class guys. They weren't held in, in high esteem. They, essentially, they were kind of like the bin men of the day. So why, oh why, would uh, the angel who has, I mean, you have one job, angel, your, 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 your job is to go and declare that the, the Messiah, the promised one, has been born. Why would you go and deliver that message to the average Joes, to the, to the bin men, to the guys who are outside the city in the middle of the night with no one's around them? Why wouldn't the messenger go just a few miles down the road, six miles or so, into Jerusalem to the temple where all the, the religious elite were, uh, where all the politically important people were, surely the angels should have gone there and he- held a, a press conference on the steps of the temple with all, all the media outlets there and declared his message there, but he doesn't. Because that's not God's way. This is, this is not the kind of savior that was born. You see, by appearing to those shepherds, the average Jews, God is saying that this child who has been born is not just for the important people, the people who have it all together, the people who are getting on well in life. This child is for everyone. Listen to verse 10 again. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All the people. Everyone. The coming of Jesus is good news, is, is gospel. We, say, we talk about the gospel a lot in this church. And the word that the angel says, behold, I bring you good news. That's gospel. It's for everyone. There's not one person on earth who won't benefit from the coming of this baby if they choose to receive him. The coming of Jesus is good news for, for you too. It's good news for the world. This is good news of great joy, and it's for you. Do you get what this is saying? Jesus' birth is good news for you. That's the first thing we have to realize when we ask ourselves, we have to realize, for me. You can receive this message as personally as the shepherds received it all those years ago. I mean, do you ever wonder why God made it so that Mary and Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem? Why they had to walk a hundred miles south? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that, that Joseph wasn't rich, but we do know that he was a, a craftsman. And, I, and I'm fairly certain that a carpenter or somebody who works with his hands would have, would have made a nice home for his, his, his fiancée and, and their coming baby. 
I mean, do you ever wonder why God made it so that they couldn't find a place to stay? Why did God make it so that his son was born in the place where they kept the animals and then laid in a feeding trough? Why did God make it so that his son was born into poverty? I mean, couldn't God have made it so that Jesus was born in a palace? Yes, of course he could. And he could have done lots of things differently. Jesus could have been born into a wealthy family. Jesus uh, could have turned the stones into bread to satisfy his hunger when, when the devil was tempting him in the wilderness. He could have called on legions of angels to come and rescue him when he was being arrested in the garden the night before he died. He could have come down from the cross and saved himself. But he didn't. Why? Because God made it all happen the way it had to happen for you and for me. Second Corinthians verse 8 and 9, Paul tells us that, for, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, right? That's an understatement. He is God. All the world, all creation was made through him and by him and for him. He was rich. Listen to what he says. Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. For your sake. The emperor Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man in the world. In fact, he, he made people worship him as a god. Uh, he was known, actually, as the savior of the world. And through tyranny and wars, he had conquered lands and territories, and he he had brought peace to the empire. It was called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. He was hailed as the prince of peace. There wasn't one thing that happened in the empire without his say-so. He was seemingly the most powerful being in the world. And it's easy to read the story as we do every Christmas. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, that everyone had to go to their hometown and be registered. It's easy to read that and think that the only reason that Mary and Joseph traveled the hundred or so miles south to Bethlehem from Nazareth was because the emperor, the all-powerful emperor, had made them do it. But he wasn't all-powerful. He thought that he was directing the actions of the entire world, but God was directing him. God behind the scenes directing, wielding the power and the will of the most powerful emperor in the world so that his son would be born in poverty in Bethlehem so that prophecy would be fulfilled. Imagine that. For you, God chose for your sake so that through his poverty you could become rich. It was for your sake that the emperor called the census that year and made Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. It was for your sake that there was no guest room available. It was for your sake that the Christ child was laid in a feeding box. Just as it was for your sake that as a man he had no home to call his own. It was for your sake that he was despised and rejected. It was for your sake that he was arrested and tortured and beaten and nailed to a cross. This morning, um, or, or yesterday, and, and just with the news and, and things ramping up with COVID, I wasn't sure how many people were going to be here this morning, and I was just praying this morning, I was saying, Lord, if it's six or if it's 60 people here this morning, I just want everyone to realize that you came for them. 
for you. So there may not be many people here this morning, but you're here because God wants you here because he needs you to hear that it was for your sake that he became poor. Every step of his life, in fact, every step of history was a step towards the cross of Calvary. And it was all for you. John, I read this thing by John Piper this week and I loved it. He says, yes, God could have seen to it that Jesus had a room at his birth, but that would have been a detour off the Calvary road. <laughs> Listen to the angel and receive these words as for you this morning. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Uh, during Advent, um, we've been, uh, you know, trying to be good parents and, and teach our kids what Christmas means. And we've been uh, reading the Jesus Storybook Bible and, and, and trying to explain that Jesus is the, the point of Christmas and he's the best gift. And he really is a gift. And he's a gift for you. So, so why not think about this and receive this gift this morning? Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That includes you. Don't reject this gift that is personally wrapped just for you, with your name on it. Jesus came for you. And maybe you have received the gift. But maybe it's always stayed in the wrapper. It's time to open the gift. Jesus came for you. I think it's so easy. I find it so easy to go through life believing in Jesus, believing that he was born, believing that he lived the way he lived, believing what the Bible tells us about him, believing even that he died and rose again, but never fully receive him. Do you know what I mean? People give you smell Christmas. I mean, like, not, not smelly stuff, but you know what I mean? Like, bubble bath and shower gel and that kind of stuff. And, and it kind of, it's not your thing, so it's not your kind, so it stays in the stays in the wardrobe or the cupboard for, for ages. We can do that with Jesus. It's easy to go through all the motions and never fully receive the gift of his grace. It's easy to go through all the motions and, and never really receive this gift for you. And so as, as, we, as we consider this question today, what does the coming of Christ mean for you? The first thing we need to do is realize that it is that he came for us, that he came for me and he came for you, that, that this gift is just for you. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. He's, he's God's gift. And this means, this means something amazing. This means that we're all on a level playing field, right? <laughs> because it's a gift. When it comes to the gift of God's grace given to us through the person of Jesus, we're all equal. Consider if, for a second if Jesus had been born in Rome. If Jesus had been born into Caesar Augustus, the, 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 the savior of the world, the prince of peace, if Jesus his palace into his family, how could we ever believe that it was for us? But he wasn't. The angel came to the shepherds. Jesus was born among the livestock. His mom was an unmarried teenager. His cot was a feeding box. It's really nice that we have baby sounds this morning as well. And so, no matter how worthy or probably unworthy you feel this morning, no matter how much of a failure you feel as a person, and maybe even more so as a Christian, 
No matter how much you look at other people in the church or in life and you think, I'll be as good as them. Just remember this. Jesus wasn't born in a, in, in a palace. He was born among the livestock. The angel told this news to the shepherds. Jesus came for you. Now, I think in order to grasp what this really means, we need to understand just who this baby is, don't we? And if he says that in detail to, to these shepherds, uh, we, can, we can find out some things about who, how, who Jesus is. Now, now one of the, the downsides, it's a pretty minor thing to complain about, uh, about the last couple of years of pandemic, is that, that, that I feel like I'm missing out on primitivity play years. Right, my kids are at the age, getting to the age where that's some good nativity play, you know, stuff going on, and we're missing out. Kid parents not allowed in the school, and but it's a shame. Nativity play or something like it. Um, on my P4, P4, P5, uh, I was wise man number one, and I had one line. I had to walk to the front of the stage like this and say, "Look at that star! It's ever so bright." <laughs> that was my line. Here, there were Oscar buzz, everything. It was amazing. I delivered that. There was definitely overacting going on, you know what I mean? Um, but no nativity play would be complete without the shepherds. Kids in their dressing gowns and, you know, a bit racist, tea towels around your head and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and then the, the shepherds go and they, they look in the, 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 the manger and there's the wee doll that's the baby Jesus. And it's all very sweet and all very nice. And if you think about it, maybe this is why we're more comfortable with Christmas than we are with Easter. Christmas is way less threatening to us than, than Easter, isn't it? Because at Christmas, we can look down on Jesus. Uh, we can coo over him and, and think, oh, sweet wee baby, asleep in the hay. No crying he made. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's just an adorable wee baby, isn't he? But can we really look into the manger and look down on Jesus? Listen to what the angel says to the shepherds, because uh, it seems like there's a contradiction going on here. How he describes the child seems completely at odds with the position of the child. Listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Firstly, he's born in the city of David. That doesn't mean much for us, but that tells us that, that maybe there's something royal in the child. But firstly, he's the Savior. This is, this is a biblical word. It's a Bible word that, the word that just means somebody who will bring divine deliverance. The Old Testament uses this word a lot, especially when it came to the, the, the people of Israel in, in Egypt needing rescue and deliverance from slavery. Jesus is this child. Jesus is the one who will bring deliverance for God's people. Not from slavery, but from sin. You see, only, only God can forgive sins against God, and, and that's why God sent the eternal Son of God into the world, because He is God. Jesus is the Savior who will save His people from their sins. Secondly, this child is Christ. Christ is, is just a Greek word for Messiah. It means promised one, anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah one. It has been promised since the Garden of Eden, when sin entered the world. The baby, this baby, is God's chosen and anointed one, the long-awaited one who comes to fulfill the longing of every human heart. That's what this word Christ means. Then thirdly, he is Lord. Sometimes we read this word so often, we say this word so often that we don't really understand what it means or we lose, it loses importance. And I'm confident that the shepherds would not have been expecting to hear this word 
You see, this isn't like some Lord of the Manor, right? It's not like, I've never seen it, but it's not like Downton Abbey, you know, where there's a big house and a guy walking around in tweed with a shotgun. That's not what Jesus is. It's not Lord like that. It's not a rich and powerful man. Lord means God. The, the word Lord is of God's name, Yahweh. This baby is God. <laughs> the ruler, the sovereign, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Lord of the universe. So do you see what the, the angel said to these shepherds? There is a baby being born in the town a couple of miles down the road, and he's the one who will bring deliverance. He's the anointed one who has been promised throughout history and God himself. A savior who is Christ the Lord, deliverer, Messiah, God. And I contra contrast that, those titles, who this baby is, with where they're going to find him. This is how you're going to know who he is. Verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. And Savior, Messiah, God, a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. I'm not sure how many babies were born in Bethlehem that night. But I guarantee you this was the only one that was lying in a manger. You can't get more lowly than this. You can't get a more humble, more outcast, more degrading situation to be born into than this. Our nativity plays have taught us that, that Mary and Joseph were turned away by the kind of angry, fat innkeeper, you know. I don't know why he, he was like that, but, but actually it was probably much worse than that. They were probably turned away by Joseph's own family, by Joseph's relatives, forced to find shelter in a place where they kept the, the cattle, the livestock, Messiah, God, wrapped in cloth, lying in a feeding trough. Two contradiction positions that speak of what this Savior, Christ and Lord is like. And I wonder, do we have to think about for a second which one we prefer? You see, as we consider what the coming of Christ means to us, it's my feeling, it's my hunch that, that, that we, we probably prefer the baby wrapped in clear, sleeping on the hay. We prefer to keep him as a baby in the manger, but not as Savior, Christ and Lord, don't we? We're, hap we're happy to be like the shepherds who can come and see the baby and look down on him. The nativity scene isn't that threatening to us. It doesn't inter interfere with our worldview. It's nice and sweet. We can come and look. and then We like to think that we can look down on Jesus. As the baby in the manger, as the baby in the box, he doesn't require much of us. We want to separate Jesus in the manger from Jesus on the throne. But we can't do that. That's not what the angel tells us. The baby in the box is the baby on the throne, is the Lord on the throne. And it's vital that we recognize who this baby is. You see, just because he is a baby, he's no less our Savior. Just because he is wrapped in rags, he is no less the Messiah. Just because he is lying in the manger, he is no less God. In fact, that's the whole miracle. That's the whole point. Colossians 1.19 says this, In him, in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Did you catch that? The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not part God, not sometimes God, not like God. The fullness of God. Try to wrap your head around that for a second. 
all of God infinite in tiny infant. That's what C.S. Spurgeon says. He, he said this incredible, uh, he, he, just poetic. He says this, infinite yet infant, eternal yet born of a woman, almighty and yet nursing on a woman's breast, supporting the universe yet needing to be carried in his mother's arms. King of angels, and yet the reputed son of Joseph. Heir of all things, and yet a carpenter's despised son. And so, even without considering Jesus' death and and his resurrection from the dead, God as tiny, helpless infant should cause us to fall down in worship and adoration of him. So maybe, maybe we want to keep Jesus in the manger because we think that there doesn't require anything of us. But let me tell you, Jesus is important not because of the setting of his birth, but because of who he is. He's Savior, he's Messiah, he's God. So, so what do you want to do with him? What does he mean to you? It's totally possible to stare at the baby in the manger and miss who he is. And we need to be careful that we don't do that. And that's why i thinking about how we respond to this child. You see, an ordinary baby wrapped in cloth in a manger doesn't require much of a response. Maybe it requires some pity. But this baby is no ordinary child and we need to respond. In the passage, we see uh, the responses of three groups of people. There's observers, there's Mary, and then there are shepherds. Uh, the angel delivers them and then the choir sings the song and we're going to come back and look at that song on Christmas Eve. Uh, um, and the shepherds want to see, see this for themselves. So with haste, quickly, they go down to Bethlehem and they find the baby and sure enough, there he is, just what the angel had said, lying in a manger. And then they tell the story of what the angel had said, of what has happened to them. And listen to what it says in verse 8. All who wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Everyone who hears their message is amazed by it. They wonder at it. Now, we don't know who these people are. They could be other people taking shelter where the animals were that night. Uh, they could be passers-by. I actually think that one of the, uh, one of the most degrading um, parts of Jesus' birth was probably that it was way more public than Mary would have liked. Maybe there are even people that the shepherds ran into, uh, ran into in the street on their way to the manger or the way back to the field. We don't know who they are, but we know how they respond. They were amazed. They marveled at what they heard. But, but this doesn't necessarily mean, this word doesn't necessarily tell us that they had faith. They were amazed at what has happened. Wow, what a story. But maybe they just go on to get on with their lives again. Like what we do when we, we look at the baby in the manger and then we just go back to eating our Christmas dinner and then before you know it, it's January and the whole thing's over again. Then there's Mary. Listen to how she responds. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary does more than wonder at this. She does more than marvel. She treasures these things. She, she considered. Jesus' words about, or the angel's words about Jesus, the shepherd's words about Jesus, take deep, deep root in her heart. She believes it. She, she believes who he is. And she treasures it. I can't imagine that there's any way at all that this would have been the birth that, that Mary wanted for her first child. No way. I, I remember with R2, Healy got to, to, to come up with a birth plan. 
And, and that's something that mums get to do. You have a birth plan. You get to plan and prepare and, and, and bring your child into the world the way that you want to and the way that you, you think is, is best for, for your baby. And Mary would have been no different. She wants what's best for her for this baby she's carrying. But she didn't want to give birth. The animals were kept. She didn't want to put him down to sleep in a feeding box. Maybe Joseph, being a carpenter, had maybe made a nice crib for him to lie in. All planned out for his arrival. But when she hears the report of the shepherds, what's important to her is not where she is or the way he's been born, but who he is. She recognizes that her baby is Savior, Messiah, and God. She, she takes this truth and she stores it in her heart like it's the most precious thing that has ever happened. Mary is building up this faith bank of words and experiences. And finally, there's the good old shepherds, the average Jews, the working class guys. They're at the lower end of the social spectrum. Uh, they weren't even allowed testimony in court. Their word was unreliable because of their lowly status. But at the birth of Jesus... <laughs> These nobodies are turned into the first evangelists. <laughs> I love that. I love how God works. I love that. No one can trust what you say in court, but God trusts you to be the first people who preach the gospel. I love that. And I love the journey the shepherds are on this night as well. Well, I mean, what a night for those guys. <laughs> like, it's crazy when you think about it. They receive this message from the angel. Uh, then this army of angels appears in the sky singing and then they get up and they go and see and then they're telling everyone about what they've seen and then listen to what they do in verse 20 and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them once they've heard the good news and met the Lord Jesus they tell everyone about him and then they go back into the world and they go back to their work but they do so praising God as they go they're just going about their work Glorifying God. As a result of the message of the angel, and this multitude of angels coming to them, and then seeing the baby, it causes them to go back into the world, but, but now they have a new outlook. Do you see? They, they go back into the world, but they are praising and glorifying God as they go. Three responses to the coming of Christ. So what's our response going to be? You see, what the angel announced to the shepherds is announced to all of us. And the journey of the shepherds should be the journey of everybody. We should all go and see what God is up to in Jesus. And when we see what God is doing through Jesus, we should be full of wonder like Mary. We should treasure it deep in our hearts. And we should tell everyone, like the shepherds, what we heard and seen and experienced. And then we should glory to God. It isn't complicated. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not complicated. We treasure Jesus, tell everybody what we've experienced, and go about our lives praising God. That's what we're called to do. This is the response that the baby in the manger deserves. And unfortunately, we often just settle for, for, for letting the world around us think that Jesus is still just the baby in the manger, isn't it? It's really maybe the only time people experience Jesus. And so often, people never get past the nativity story with a Jesus that we can easily keep in a box and look down on. 
And maybe we even do that ourselves. And maybe our friends and families never get past the baby in the manger because we never look and see for themselves. Maybe they don't see us living lives of praise and worship as we go about our lives. We're going to look at this song of the angels on Christmas Eve, but, but we need to shout to the world that Jesus is more than a baby in a box. Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Who the baby was is nothing compared to who he is. Savior, Messiah, and God. The response of, shepherds, of the shepherds and Mary involves both praise and obedience. And ours should be the same. So let me ask you one more time. How are we going to respond? What does the coming of Christ mean to you? It's good that we look in manger and, and it's good and right that we celebrate the Savior's birth and, and, and I am all about that. And it's good and right that we feast and party and, and give each other gifts. God has come into the world. Of course we should. But, but maybe as we do that, we, we need to look past the baby in the manger. Or we need to look at the baby in the manger and realize who he really is. Maybe this year we can ponder and treasure this in our hearts and go out into the world praising and glorifying God. Just like the shepherds, tell it to everyone we meet. To us, a child is born and he is Savior, he is Messiah, and he is Lord. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you chose to send your messenger to the lowest, to the least, because it's so much easier for us to realize then that it's for us. Uh, Father, I pray that this year as we feast and celebrate and, and give each other gifts, we would realize just who this child is, that he is our savior come to save us from our sins, that he is uh, the Messiah, the chosen one, that he is God, Father, I pray for us as a church as, as we ponder these things and seek to treasure them in our hearts that you would, you would help us, Lord. We need your help to do that. And Father, even as we come to your table now to, to celebrate the, the, the death of, of Jesus, that we would realize that this was what his birth was really all about. And we pray these things for the glory of Jesus. And in his name, amen.